Ezra Levan is my name. I am the Rebel Commander here at rebelnews.com. What a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I took an extra few days on Christmas, first family vacation in three years. It felt great just to travel. I have not really been allowed to travel. As many Canadians, uh, I was not allowed to travel domestically. I'm still not allowed to travel to the United States because of that country's rule against unjabbed people. But I managed to get away for a Christmas vacation to a place where they do not require you to be jabbed. It's really weird that America is the most intrusive country on that stuff. When I say most intrusive, it may be worse in communist China, but seriously, is that the league Joe Biden is in? I thought that with the new Republican Congress, that would be over, but they've had their shenanigans there too, haven't they? I mean, <laughs> I haven't really been paying a lot of attention to the election of the speaker. Um, the few things I've read about that make me side with uh, Matt Gates, the Florida Trump supporting congressman. And the reason I say that is because it looks like he managed to extract some conservative concessions from the establishment rhino candidate. And Olivia, I don't know if you could find it, but bad lip reading. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's this funny web, I'm not even going to call it a website. It's just folks who, they take viral moments, whether it's from a sports event like uh, Super Bowl or some music event like, um, I don't know, halftime at the Super Bowl. Um, they did a... Um, and I retweeted it this morning. I don't know if you can find it quickly, but they actually have a great Twitter account too. It's just called Bad Lip Reading. And they did a funny exchange between um, the two factions. So I, 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 I don't know enough to comment with great resolve, but it looks to me like because of the narrowness of the Republican victory in the Congress, that some conservatives managed to extract some conservative concessions from the rhino candidate. Yeah, that's it right there. And so that's good news. But also this bad lip reading, you know what they do is they sort of put a fake dialogue. They pretend that they, <laughs> they it's called bad lip reading because it's a joke. Obviously, you'd be a really bad lip reader to think that this is what they said. It's comedy. But it, anyhow, it makes me chuckle. Why not pump up the sound and, and look at this great exchange? Take a look. What does it go for, Bill? Can you say it? Well, who knows? A really rich doctor said you were a bummer. And I think you don't know algebra. No, we're talking science, bud. The science of what? Is that a tiger? One of your friends promised me I could flick you in your face. Absolutely, you may not do that. Hit him in his cringy smirk, for real. Say any cereal name. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You're like people in the 12th century. Why do you say it like that? You're a formulated He's pickle popper. That. He's a storm cloud. I don't like you, dude. And there's a tiger. Oh, that's it. You two guys sent the tiger. I what? did no. not. Not me. What I mean, tiger? That's just, I mean, that is reprehensible. Okay, yeah. Okay, Brad, I'm a horrible person. Brad, I'll report you to Nadine. I just want your leg bones to be okay. I brought the tiger. Really, you got somebody on the organ now? 
Hey man, you're gonna pay for dinner. You're gonna pay no. You know what? I'm gonna report you to Nadine. I don't know who Nadine is, but that sounds like a pretty tough threat. But you know that part at the end there, I don't know who that congressman is who is hollering, and the other congressman put their hand over them. That, I, what did they go to, 15 ballots? 15 ballots before Kevin McCarthy won. But my shallow understanding of this says it was a good thing. Because the thing about Kevin McCarthy and the establishment Demo uh, Republicans, seems to me, is there's no deal they won't make with the Democrats. I don't know why. Are they compromised? Are they just deal makers? They like the clubby feeling. Um, I saw someone saying, watching the Republicans and the Democrats work together in Congress is like watching, watching the Harlem Globetrotters. And you know the team that the Harlem Globetrotters would always play against? The Washington Generals. Have you ever seen the Harlem Globetrotters? It's, it's very entertaining. They're great basketball players, but it's more humorous and and it's a shtick right and they're great players some of them go on to the nba by the way or at least they used to but the washington generals is sort of the official losing team that always plays the harlem globetrotters and always does a pretty good job but always loses they sort of bring the losing team with them it's been a while since i've seen them i don't even remember it, probably decades ago but that's what it's like watching the Republicans and the Democrats try and outfox each other. The Harlem Globetrotters, I don't want to spoil the ending for you. They win every game against the Washington Generals. And the Washington Generals do that because it's a job. They play a sport they love. And who knows? Maybe if they're actually really good, they join the Harlem Globetrotters team. They might even go in onto the NBA. Why? Does Kevin McCarthy and the rest of the congressional leadership love the role of the lovable losers, the Washington general? When was the last time there was a negotiation in Congress that had a conservative outcome, that, that the good guys won? I, I can't think of one. So my point is if Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and other conservative troublemakers can extract any concessions... Um, from Kevin McCarthy and the Rhinos. I call that a good thing. It took 15 ballots. Again, I call that a good thing too. Why should it be easy for the Rhinos to win? Um, anyhow, it's great to be back. That was just on my mind. I mean, would you agree with me that that bad lip reading is really funny? You know, they, they, do, some, uh, they do some funny scenes from movies, from Star Wars, from... Um, you know, I don't want to waste time on it, but I... You, but when Beyonce, can you go to, can, can you indulge me? And it's just because bad lip, would you agree with me that was really funny? I'm going to report you to Nadine. But, but actually underlying that, the guy who was shouting and the other guy who was covering his mouth and like that, there was some crazy showdowns there at all hours. Can you indulge me and, and go to bad lip reading and maybe you'll find it quicker on YouTube when Beyonce sang the anthem at the Super Bowl, this was years ago, just bad lip rating Beyonce. It's just, I know it's not political and I know it's not current events and I know it's got nothing other than I just want to share a video with you, but it made me laugh so hard. I just want to share it with you. Would you permit me to steal a minute of your time to share this bad lip reading video of Beyonce? Like, how can you do Beyonce bad lip reading? Well, these guys do it. Take a look. 
like Obama's uh, inauguration. I th- I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not as funny as I think it is, but I th- watching the bad lip reading for by the way Beyoncé's an amazing singer and that's what makes it so funny is she's not an awful singer like that bad lip reader. But with her mouth being covered by the mic like that so much uh, you can get away with uh, with things. Can I extend the indulgence I'm begging of you? For one more minute, because if you thought that was bad singing, if you thought that that is not how people should sing, um, I agree with you. And that's the source of the humor there, the contradiction between how Beyonce actually sings. She's just amazing. And a very emotional moment and a very beautiful moment, uh, her singing the inauguration and how that lip reading just made it really funny. And that's what they do, they're comedians. Well, I've just got to show you someone who really does sing like that. Um, not at a... U.S. inauguration. Did you guys get my email about... Olivia, did you get my email about Sophie Trudeau? You know, I, I should have sent it to you in Slack. You know, um, a few years ago on Martin Luther King Day, which is a very American holiday, uh, Martin Luther King was an American. Um, he led the civil rights movement in America. It was a completely American story. The... Uh, History of slavery is an American history. The Jim Crow laws, which is the post-slavery uh, restrictions on black people, um, that's an American story. Uh, Canada had our civil rights movement too, but we were not recovering from slavery or the same Jim Crow laws. But um, there was a Martin Luther King event in Ottawa 
And who would you choose for that? Well, there actually is a very old black community in Canada. Of course, uh, slaves fled in the Underground Railway to Canada. That was the final destination. There's very old black settlements in Nova Scotia, uh, where I'm from, Calgary. There were black cowboys more than a century ago. So there is a black community in Canada that is old. And of course, there's a lot of newcomers who are black. Who would you have singing at a Martin Luther King Day event in Canada? Well, I don't know if we have a Beyonce in our country, but Justin Trudeau's government thought the best person to sing at a Martin Luther King Day was not an African-American or African-Canadian, not someone with ties to black history in Canada, but his wife, Sylvie Gregoire Trudeau. And the reason I, I say that is because that bad lip-reading version of Beyonce singing La Fouet is actually how Sophie Gregoire Trudeau sings. And I know I've taken too much of your time, but you will forgive me when you watch this gorgeous, gorgeous song. This is not altered. This is really how it is. Take a look. As I have heard my fellow human beings and friends here today sing, this is not planned. Trust Do you have the me. version with, I'm going with to Gavin as a duet? Yes, and I'm going to sing you we're sorry to throw this at you, but our friend, you know what? Watching the whole thing is fun. But Gavin, the way he interprets it, he sings along. And it's just so perfect. It's too perfect. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to find Rebel News videos on YouTube because they censor the algorithm. I just typed in Gavin McKinnis, Sophie Trudeau. They will not give you that link in the top 10 uh, results, but they will give you the CBC saying, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau serenades during MLK tribute. Literally, you type in Gavin McInnes and you will not get this video because it's too good. Take a look. Oh my God, look at them. What do you think, brothers and sisters? There's some African back there. He's never even heard of Martin Luther King. Look at the picture behind her. Who's this lady? Good will prevail. The love that I feel when you smile back at me. When you smile back at me. Is she Eartha Kitt? In the corner of your eye. Oh, it's a new song now. we will say goodbye. But nothing will take away what's between you and me. Oh, my God. Is that guy asleep or blind? Back at me. When, when you, you smile, smile back at me. When you smile. When you smile. When you smile. Beautiful. I love you. I love you, too. Child. I love you, my child. Ooh. Check this out. Was she Eva Peron? Is this Evita? Don't cry for me, Argentina. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. <laughs> okay, I'm done with the bad lip reading. I just had to show you that bad lip reading could not handle Sophie Gregoire Trudeau because you can't make fun of her more than she does herself. Now, I, I note that that was very early in Justin Trudeau's tenure as prime minister. And Sophie Trudeau is nowhere to be seen, really. I mean, once a year she shows up, she remembers to put her wedding ring back on her finger, and they do a, a public event together. Uh, often, 
there's a price associated with it. Sophie Trudeau insists on going on an exotic foreign trip with uh, Trudeau. But other than that, they really do lead separate lives. And I think that's okay. I don't really want to delve into their personal problems. Um, I think she has removed herself from the public sphere. And that's right. And I think that should generally be respected. I think it's going to be very interesting in the uh, election, which I think will be held later this year, that Pierre Polyev's wife, Anaida Polyev, if I'm saying that right, will be a very powerful force on the campaign trail. She's younger than Sophie Trudeau. She speaks three languages, English, French, Spanish, maybe more. She's attractive. She's politically very savvy. And uh, she doesn't have the cringe factor of Sophie Trudeau. Because she's an immigrant from Venezuela, she's a visible minority. She's a newcomer herself. I think she will be a very potent weapon on the campaign trail. And I really didn't know how strong she was until when Pierre Polyev won the leadership of the uh, Conservative Party, very handily. He got two-thirds of the vote, if I'm recalling, on the first ballot. And Anaida had the speech of the night. I don't know if you can find a copy of it. Like, we don't need to watch the whole thing. But I, I just wouldn't mind showing people even a few minutes of A-N-A-I-D-A, I think is how you spell it, Polyev. And I just, I saw this and I thought, whoa. I think Pierre's a very strong candidate. But Anida is the secret weapon. I really believe that. And uh, if you can find a clip of her, we'll show it. But uh, if you can't, don't worry about it. It's not very important. You can see this is a very long tangent. Um, are you searching Anida? Yeah, don't, don't worry about it. You know, I, I have to say, you can never trust the algorithms these days. Oh, I think that's her. Is that her? Here, let's take a listen. Just for, I just want to show people. Thank you very much. Before I begin introducing my husband, allow me to express my sadness at the passing of our queen. May she rest in peace. Long live the king. My husband and I, thank you. My husband and I share the same values, although our background is a little different. Mon mari et moi, nous partageons les mêmes valeurs, malgré que notre parcours est un peu différent. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and my family immigrated to Canada in 1995 in a working class neighborhood in the east end of Montreal. Je suis née à Caracas, Venezuela, et ma famille émigrée ici en 1995 à Montréal, dans le quartier d'Ochelaga-Maisonneuve, My father, he went from wearing business suits and managing a bank, to jumping on the back of a pickup truck, to collect fruits and vegetables, because that's what he had to do to feed his family. Mon père est passé de porter des complets et à gérer une banque, à monter à l'arrière d'une camionnette avec des vêtements usagés, afin de ramasser des fruits et des légumes dans les champs, car c'est ce qu'il devait faire pour nourrir notre famille. The Galindo family present here tonight taught us hard work and that there is no greater dignity 
than to provide for your own family. La famille Galindo, la famille Galindo présente ici ce soir, nous a enseigné qu'il faut travailler fort et qu'il n'y a pas plus grande dignité que de subvenir aux besoins de okay. votre famille. You know what, I won't play the whole thing for you, but young, telegenic, trilingual, great story, great speaker, politically savvy, and I don't think that she would give a speech, give a song on Martin Luther King Day, her song about herself and her family, and end with like that. Like, I just, I just don't think Anita Polyev is that tone deaf. And uh, I think it's a good thing for her, for her husband, and for the country that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau has pretty much vanished from the public scene. Uh, and I don't say that with any spite or malice. I, I just think it's good for everyone involved that she's not. And it'll be interesting. I think she'll probably grudgingly come out on election the, the day they declare the election. But frankly, I think that in most uh, photographic images of Trudeau, uh, the women he's seen with are, are typically Melanie Jolie, who uh, there's so many... Pictures of how close they are, especially on travels, that she's the de facto stand-in for Trudeau's wife, just in in campaign photographs. That's just how it is. All right. Well, we spent the first twenty-four minutes of this show talking about everything other than the news, um, but I want to come back because there's a lot of interesting news. But I understand that we've got some commercials, which we got to do because we got to pay the bills around here. And I did get a super chat. So we're going to play a commercial. We're going to come back. I'll read the Super Chat. And then I'll get to the real news. So see you in a moment. It's the values. You look at Western values in Western society. And these are values we could all relate to. But they're old world values of grit and community and perseverance. It's a place where you can make a living with your back and your hands and a little bit of hard work. And it's a place of opportunity. And I think as Albertans, we're fiercely protective of that. The world's energy crisis has been grabbing newspaper headlines. In a nutshell, we're running short of petroleum resources and the prices are zooming upwards. My colleagues in the government and I have come reluctantly to believe that the price of oil in Canada must go up. This was Alberta. The origin of the Alberta separatist movement begins with the election of Pierre Trudeau as Prime Minister. It was it was a deliberate and malicious targeting of the West, which suited Pierre Trudeau just fine, just like it suits Justin Trudeau just fine. Sunny ways, my friends. Blackface. There is an actual hostile government that was Alberta. Why did your dad give everyone in Western Canada the middle finger? Really, in politics, you do have to make uh, big decisions. And whenever you make this big decisions, there's going to be people who agree with it Plenty of people want to leave this country. It's not the kind of idea you'd expect to hear from someone who wants to win power and hold power. It's a, it is a radical idea. And you would normalize the discussion. And so maybe Alberta wouldn't have to go because maybe the rest of the country and the rest of the world would say, whoa, don't go. Will you accept these changes instead? That's what happened to Quebec. There's no Maple Leafs west of the Manitoba border. Why do we why do we have a Maple Leaf by unilateral decision on the Canadian flag? Think of how the American colonists 
were in 1775. That's how a lot of Albertans are today. I like that documentary. It's, it's fun that Kean Simone, our head of documentaries, made it because he was originally a, an Ontarian and then went west to Alberta and sort of became a, you know, it's a story that so many people tell of them moving to Alberta and to change a place, change your luck, change your mindset, change everything. It really is, you got that new frontier feeling to it. All right, I promised I would talk to you about the news. And um, I want to talk about some COVID news. And of course, I got to be careful because on Twitter, you can talk freely now about COVID. You can question uh, official narratives. On YouTube, you still can't. So I want to be careful. Um, but the incredible thing is that the official narratives themselves are changing. They're admitting things that they denied short months ago. Here's a video of St. Anthony Fauci downplaying heart damage, myocarditis, as self-limiting, almost invariably benign. By the way, there's no such thing as benign heart disease. Myocarditis, there's no such thing as mild myocarditis. It's just, it's not like a, a, a skin rash or something. Take a look. In a very, very rare case, some of the mRNA vaccines can cause a self-limiting, almost invariably benign inflammatory response in the heart, which generally resolves in a very short period of time. It is very, very rare. When you compare that with the negative effects on the heart by myocarditis or pericarditis, which is inflammation of either the heart muscle or the covering of the heart, and heart failure and heart medical problems, overwhelmingly COVID itself causes that in a dramatically higher rate than the relatively benign, mild myocarditis that you might have with a vaccine, which is very, very rare. So that little thread of proof is that in a very, very rare case, some of the... Of course, that's not quite true, is it? Because the problem with myocarditis is pronounced in young men. Young men are not at serious risk of health problems or death from COVID itself. But they are the most dramatically affected by myocarditis, including cases of death. What does he mean by self-limiting? What's a self-limiting case of myocarditis? What, what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Um, but Jimmy Fallon, who is just the worst. He is just the worst. And I'll have a video for you in a second about that. But he has a new song for you about the newest COVID. Hey, guys, new COVID variant just dropped. And Jimmy Fallon's got the song. How much money did he get paid to write this song? There is no way this song is an organic expression of comedy or entertainment. This is, a, this is an engineered, orchestrated PR moment, and Jimmy Fallon will say or do anything. He's so gross. I'm going to have a video for you next from Tim uh, Dillon about this guy, but take a look at this new song. How gross is this? Take a look. 
was Alpha, then Delta, then Omicron next. But this latest variant might be the best. It's XBB.1.5. Another friend of COVID-19 has arrived. It's a new strain, but it isn't the same. Sounds more like Elon Musk, his name. It's XBB.1.5. Not in QB40 who sings red, red wine. Put on your mask when you're inside a facility. It could be a robot. I think that's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. No one, no one would do that. That is not, obviously not journalism. That's not comedy. That's not music. That's not entertainment. That is some bizarre psycho uh, drama, social psyop, audience conditioning, battlefield shaping, mind control weirdness. It's just so gross. And it's in the tradition of this super grossness by Stephen Colbert. If you thought that was cringeworthy from Jimmy Fallon, nothing can take the cringeworthy crown from the lowest of the low, Stephen Colbert. You've just got to, you, you probably remember this. You can't forget this when you see this. The absolute shill, the absolute do anything, say anything for your corporate masters. How can you call yourself a comedian, an entertainer, a, a talk show? How, you, what are you other than a functionary, a fart catcher, a drone, a, an order taker, who would do this and look themselves in the mirror other than someone who says, you know what, to hell with it. I'm getting old. They're offering me so much money. I don't give a damn anymore. Take, take a look at this. The vaccine.
And, and, and they said it couldn't get any longer. You know, that was so gross. Yeah, I'm trying to find a video now. And again, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but I'm absolutely sure that it has been hidden uh, by the algorithm. And maybe you guys can help me find it. I've been searching in YouTube. I'm searching for Tim Dillon, Jimmy Fallon. Um, it was just unbelievable. It was uh, Tim Dillon taking apart Jimmy Fallon as nothing but a corporate shill, just promoting whatever Hollywood sludge is being pumped out. It's so worthwhile. I wonder if you guys can help me search for it. And I, I really am certain that, um, that the algorithm is hiding it because it was so good and so popular. Um, the version I'm looking for is edited. It has lots of video clips of Jimmy Fallon spliced into it. If you can find that, I'm not going to wait to find it now because it may be hard to find. I really think that it was, I think that Jimmy Fallon's people said to YouTube, you take this down. That's not a, that's not a request. It's an order. Jimmy Fallon's huge on YouTube. Um, he's an enormous source of revenue for YouTube. Some of his videos have tens of millions of views. Uh, he's probably had a billion views, more than a billion, probably a billion views a year on YouTube. So when a comedian like um, Tim Dillon shows what a corporate shill Jimmy Fallon has become, um, it's just absolutely devastating takedown. Um, it's no surprise that it's, that it's hidden. Um, anyways, I'm not going to spend more time at it right now, but uh, if you can find it, uh, please show it. We've got, I, we, I just feel like you've got to see that after that absolute shilling by Jimmy Fallon. There is nothing he will not do for money. All right. We'll look for that in the meantime. I want to play for you a few more clips on the COVID file. Bill Gates. Uh, are you enjoying a return to normalcy? Like I say, it's the first time I went on a vacation outside of Canada with my family in years. I still can't go to the United States because I'm unjabbed. Um, but I feel like things are getting back to normal. Like I don't even, like I see the odd person with masks and I see the odd person with those, like those sort of beekeeper or sort of welders, like a, a glass visor or plastic visor. And I, I sort of feel sad for them. I feel like they're, um, got a little bit of what's that called? Mount Munchausen syndrome, you know, where they're, they're not very interesting people. They maybe don't have that much of a personality. So this is their shtick. Um, it was their identity. They loved the COVID crisis because it gave them meaning and they knew what the rules were and they could be great at following the rules. And they sort of miss that. They don't like the freedom and choice and chaos of uh, real life. Um, but if you think you're out in free and clear, the world's creepiest billionaire has another uh, thought for you. Here's Bill Gates saying, uh, get ready for the next pandemic. He's excited. Take a look. Why and how ready should we be for the next pandemic? Well, governments uh, are there to protect us. And so, you know, they have us practice for earthquakes. You know, they have a fire department with lots of full-time people uh, to stop fires. Um, they have armies that are there 
to deal with wars. But the pandemic is a disaster that they didn't prepare for. The actual resources required to have a, a global surveillance team uh, to make better diagnostic technologies uh, uh, to do uh, quick detection, it's actually not going to be that expensive once the world gets organized and makes it a priority. So active preparedness for the next pandemic, because as you've said, it's not a matter of if, but when. How do we actively prepare? And are you seeing anywhere in the world where there's actual preparedness for a future pandemic right now? Well, there's some good uh, innovation, the idea of uh, improving the vaccine so that they block getting infection, uh, making them so they last a long, long time, uh, being able to make very cheap diagnostics that you could literally uh, produce billions of uh, very quickly. So the innovation side, I think, is starting to move. But picking how we strengthen WHO, uh, create a special organization dedicated to pandemics, uh, you know, how we staff that, how we get every country to practice you know, for fire, uh, you've got fire drills, you've got signs. Uh, so we need a little bit of uh, preparation so that we actually can stop something before it goes global. Uh, you know, so we'll have lots of outbreaks, but we don't need to have pandemics. Right. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's so many things in there. His prescriptions are, well, maybe we can have a vaccine that blocks infection. Yeah, that used to be the definition of a vaccine, isn't it? Maybe it can last. Yeah, that used to be the definition of a vaccine, wasn't it? We need to strengthen the unelected, unaccountable, China-driven World Health Organization and have a special pandemic World Health Organization. Can you imagine? Absolutely a maniacal dictator. The role of the government is to protect us. I don't quite think that's the role of the government. I mean, I think having armies might be an answer. It might be true. But... The government did not protect us from the pandemic. They didn't stop it from coming here. You can't stop a pandemic in our modern age. They didn't minimize death. In fact, they, in the case of New York in particular, and in Ontario, they sent COVID-infected seniors into long-term care facilities. They, they, they actually put at-risk people, well, not too find a point on it. They, they killed them. Uh, Governor Cuomo in New York was the worst at that. The um, public health theater didn't help anybody. Like I say, said earlier, the kids were at the lowest risk, yet they were the most punished. Incredible clip. I don't know if you can find it quickly, but um, the former head of the... Uh, um, Sorry, not the FCC. I got all my acronyms mixed up here. Um, uh, the, the former head of a public health commission in the U.S. whose acronym I've just forgotten right now, Scott Gottlieb, said no one actually knows where the six foot of separation rule came from. Remember that? He was the head of the FDA. Sorry, I was getting confused. I knew it wasn't the head of the uh, CDC. Scott Gottlieb was, yeah, Nobody knows the origins of a six-foot social distancing recommendation. That's Scott Gottlieb. I think he's on the board of Pfizer now. 
He admitted, yeah, no one knows where that came from, but that became the law. I remember seeing a video of some health cops literally with measuring tape shutting down a barber shop because the chairs were like five feet, six inches apart instead of exactly six feet apart, as if the virus knows a centimeter or it, it, this was the same rules of you can sit in a restaurant with your mask off, but when you stand up and you're two feet taller, then the virus will get you like that. That's not science. The government didn't protect us. It was public health theater. I want to play just one more clip. And of course, this was on Al Jazeera. One more clip of Bill Gates talking about misinformation and then disinformation. And by the way, I found that clip of Tim Dillon versus Jimmy Fallon, and I'm going to play it for you. It's so amazing. Uh, so we'll play this, Olivia, and then we're going to play another commercial. And then when we come back, I'm going to read my, my uh, two super chats that have come in. We're going to play the Jimmy Fallon um, commercial for, for Pfizer or whatever that was. And then I want to play the ultimate takedown in history of Jimmy Fallon. So, that, so I think we can fit that in, all, in the next 10 minutes. Let's take a look at Bill Gates on Al Jazeera, which is a perfect fit for him. Dictatorship. Uh, bully regime in Qatar. Take a look. Now, Mr. Gates, one of the other issues and challenges that we were confronted with during this pandemic, especially at the peak of it, was uh, misinformation and disinformation. And you yourself were the target of some bizarre right-wing conspiracy theories in, when it came to the vaccine, of course. And I know you've had to deal with this in the past, but do you feel that it was different during this pandemic? the misinformation and disinformation that was out there about the disease, about the vaccine. Oh, it and was, how did you deal with it? It was quite a surprise. You know, it was people looking for simple explanations, looking for, uh, you know, one bad actor to simplify uh, the surprise of what was going on. The digital channels definitely amplified that, let people uh, resonate with, you know, strange ideas. It's tragic that that probably prevented some people from using masks or taking the vaccine when they needed it. You know, so it, <clears throat> it did lead to polarization and even uh, more death than we had to experience. You know, finding people who you trust and making sure they're uh, speaking out, um, you know, that's something we need to put more effort into, you know, who, who do you trust? My mug? I know, it's pretty cool. So is this hoodie I got on, and you could have it on too if you check out our special website at rebelnewsstore.com. That's where you can see Freedom Focus hoodies that we have for you, beanies, cell phone cases, you name it, all while supporting our journalism, where we fight to bring you the other side of the story, as opposed to, you know, being forced by the Trudeau government to fund leftist media out of your taxes. The truth is, without you and your generosity, there is no rebel news. So again, if you like the reports that we bring you and that we also fight for freedoms in Canada, please consider doing some shopping, picking up some swag at rebelnewsstore.com. We appreciate your support. Well, thanks for coming back. Dre is great, isn't she? Um, that last clip with Bill Gates talking about how, who do you trust? Well, Bill Gates, um, I don't trust you and I'm not alone. Do you have Melinda Gates on um, her husband and um, 
Jeffrey Epstein because, you know, obviously our, our wives or husbands trust us and we trust them. And even if they have a grievance with us, I think it's human nature to keep family issues within the family. Um, that's just normal. I mean, I'm not even talking about family secrets. I'm just saying there's certain things that are private. You don't air the dirty laundry. And certainly not when you're as famous as Bill and Melinda Gates. And they're really a team in so many ways. They run the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It's not the Bill Gates Foundation. It's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They both work there. Um, <clears throat> so for Melinda Gates, his wife of several decades, his partner, his co-activist, to publicly talk about the reason she's divorcing him because he was raping children at Jeffrey Epstein's. He, she uses different language than that, but that's what Jeffrey Epstein was. He trafficked in children. He himself was a child rapist, and, well, Bill Gates just wouldn't stop going there dozens of times, even after Jeffrey Epstein was convicted of being a pedophile. Here, don't take it from me. Take it from Melinda Gates. And remember what Bill Gates just said. Who do you trust? Well, here's who his wife trusts. Take a look. It's not one thing. It was many things. But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein. He was evil personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards. Melinda French Gates opens up following her and Bill's divorce and the role Jeffrey Epstein played in their split. The power couple revealed last year that they ended their 27-year marriage. Any of the questions remaining about what Bill's relationship there was, those are for Bill to answer. That's Melinda sitting down with CBS Morning's Gail King on Thursday, her first wide-ranging interview since the split announcement in May. Divorce is a painful process, even when it's what both parties want. It still is a very painful, personal decision. It wasn't one moment or one specific thing that happened. There just came a point in time where there was enough there that I realized it just wasn't healthy and I couldn't trust what we had. Among those contributing factors, Bill's connection to convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. The disgraced financier died in jail in 2019 while awaiting trial for sex trafficking charges. You know, it was also widely reported that Bill had a, a friendship or a business or some kind of contact with Jeffrey Epstein. It's not one thing, it was many things. But I um, say no more. <clears throat> she, you heard her use the word try, can't, couldn't trust him. You know, Bill Gates said, well, I was trying to raise money for my foundation from Jeffrey Epstein. It's a little hard to believe that one of the richest men in the world, Bill Gates, who has an alliance with uh, other rich men, including Warren Buffett, needs to raise money. But let's take that at face value. Uh, I do some fundraising for Rebel News, for example. You make a call, you have a meeting, you make a call, you have a meeting. But you know, you find out pretty quickly if if you're up against a brick wall. Jeffrey Epstein did not have dozens of meetings. Sorry, Bill Gates did not have dozens of meetings with Jeffrey Epstein after Epstein said, I'm not giving you money. It wasn't about the money. That's, a, that's such an obvious lie, an obvious lie that Melinda Gates herself did not believe. There's only one reason Bill Gates visited a child sex trafficker pedophile dozens of times is that Bill Gates, obviously, 
was there not for Jeffrey Epstein's money, but there to rape children. Uh, don't, don't ask me, ask Melinda Gates. Imagine being forced to divorce your husband of decades in such a public way. It must have been bad. The atrocious things she must have seen and heard. And you can imagine, she would have said, please don't go. I demand you don't go. You've got not to go. Like, I can't imagine that a marriage of so many years and so many interlocking interests would come apart immediately. I can imagine that, it, that Melinda would have, would have tried dozens, maybe hundreds of times to get Bill Gates to stop going to the rape rooms. Like, you don't just divorce like that when you're in that league. Imagine, imagine how deeply Bill Gates was into Jeffrey Epstein's world that he resisted all that. And even when she would have surely said, if you don't stop raping those girls, I will divorce you. Surely she said that as the penultimate step before divorcing him. Surely she would have said, I am going to divorce you if you don't stop going there. Of course she would have said that. She, she wouldn't have just surprised him and said, I'm divorcing you. And he said, no. What a depraved man, but trust him to do what's best for you. You heard him. You got to go with the people you trust. Unbelievable. Hey, I got a few super chats from Times, five bucks. Great to see you, Ezra. Happy New Year, and thank you for everything you do. Well, that's friendly. I appreciate that. Annalisa, 1964, five bucks. Glad to have Rebel back to live chat. Thank you. Nice to see you. Fraser McBurney. I had dinner with him a few months ago. He says, how many people would take the jabs if they had to pay for the shots? The government should not pay for the jabs. Well, it's not the money that's the worst of it. It's the coercion, in my view. I, people want to take the jabs, take the jabs. I'm not here to tell you not to take a jab. I'm here to say you shouldn't be forced to take a jab, and there should be full disclosure about what's in the jab. All right. It's 152. You saw that vaccine video by Stephen Colbert, which was the worst thing I had seen on TV until Jimmy Fallon's execrable performance. Just play that latest Jimmy Fallon new pandemic video. Just so gross. Just so, so, so gross. And then we must end with an extended clip from Tim Dillon, brilliant. Just absolutely exposing who Jimmy Fallon is. So let's watch this Jimmy Fallon video I'm disgusted and I apologize in advance for showing you this. Take a look. There was Alpha, then Delta, then Omicron X. But this latest variant might be the best. It's XBB.1.5. Another friend of COVID-19 has arrived. It's a new strain, but it isn't the same. Sounds more like Elon Musk's kid's name.
imagine faking that enthusiasm. Imagine that energy and that passionate commitment to the stupidest commercial for a bug ever made. I'm so embarrassed for Jimmy Fallon, but he is only living up to his reputation that was so absolutely masterfully undone by Tim Dillon. If you don't know who Tim Dillon is, he is one of the best comedians out there. Uh, he is just brutal when he comes to criticize. He's brilliant. He's been on Joe Rogan's show, which is shows you he's sort of operating not, not only at a high level of celebrity and comedy, but he's a thinking man too. And I really appreciate Tim Dillon for that. He He's hilarious. I love his review of uh, Jollibee, the restaurant. It made me laugh so hard. Oh my God, I'm not going to play for you his devastating critique of Meghan McCain. I don't even, that that's just, it, it's the most brutal thing I've ever seen. But his takedown of Jimmy Fallon is incredible. And I finally did find it. Keep me on the side of the show, but I'd like to play it. Now the clip that I, I found is a few minutes long, so I don't know if we're going to get through it all. But it is absolutely devastating, not just about Jimmy Fallon, but the whole late night BS. So without further ado, Tim Dillon versus Jimmy Fallon. Take a look. No problem. We're just going to get that going again. Here we go. You know, it's loading. Don't worry about it. Tim Dillon. There's a lot of things I like about him. He's got a working class sensibility. He's uh, gay, but he's not woke. In fact, he's sort of anti-woke. Um, and I like I, I, he's he's a curious mix of things. He's got a he's a wonderful storyteller, of course, and he would not be able to exist without the internet because there, part of his story is that no big show would ever take someone like him because he's an iconoclast, which is the Greek word for someone who smashes idols. And you cannot go on corporate TV if you smash idols, because one day you're going to smash their idols. Are you ready to play the clip? Take a look at this. The masterpiece, absolute masterpiece, Tim Dillon. Take a look. <laughs> Most people have adapted and they're like, I have these tools to communicate directly with fans. And then you have this really elite sanctum of Hollywood, this really elite group of people they don't speak ever unless they're at a red carpet or they're, you know, it's a very staged production where they go on Jimmy Fallon or they go on Seth Meyers and they sit in the chair and they have five minutes of banter. And it's like, well, well hey, you were in Italy recently and there's nothing real about it. You know, you were in Italy. You know, I was in Italy when you were in Italy. You love when they do that. When somebody will be like, remember, remember when we were both in Italy? It's, it's so insane that this even still goes on. And the lead-in to these shows is like, you know, a mass shooting. There was another senseless shooting. The Amazon rainforest is on fire, and now here's Jimmy with the Muppets, and they're all singing. I'm like, who is this for? Fat housewives from Galveston, Texas, whose husband's sitting in a car drinking with a gun, and this woman's sitting there eating Halo Top ice cream. She's on her fifth, you know, thing of it, <laughs> yeah. which I think at some point has an equalizing effect. Sure. And she's watching Jimmy. I mean, that's that, when I was a tour guide in New York, I was a tour guide on a double-decker bus. The only people who cared about where The Tonight Show was were chubby women from, like, Ohio. <laughs> they were like, where's Jimmy? Where's Matt Lauer? Where's Matt? It's like, who gives a shit? You got to look at some old late night shows where guys like James Baldwin, the famous black intellectual, will go out and talk about real shit. 
They're talking about real stuff. On some idealism, which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. But these later shows, their, their viewers are, are falling. They're decreasing steadily. And they're terrified of upsetting anybody. They're terrified of losing a fat housewife who thinks it's fun that Jimmy Fallon plays with Muppets every night. And that he sings with the band and he does dances and he brings out the kid from Stranger Things and they play hopscotch or whatever the fuck they do. I mean, it's cr imagine watching this and having a real job. Imagine having a real job where like you're working in a factory and a guy next to you is like, I just got diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what to do. And you go home and you put on Jimmy Fallon and he's playing a game with Zac Efron. Like it's the so that's where these celebrities. That's the only time that they ever communicate with people is on these like late night shows, which are like a dystopian nightmare reality, in which insanely wealthy people sit there and have meaningless convert like meaningless conversations. <laughs> Meaningless conversations beyond the pit. Now, if I'm asked to do panel, and I have to say this, I do have to, I have to be clear about this. If I'm asked to do panel on one of these shows, I will. But if they want to talk to me on panel, um, I will do that. Now, here's what will also happen. That episode won't air. That's also going to happen because I am, it's not going to air. Because I will ask them what they're doing. Like, I will look at one of them as I'm sitting there and go, let me ask you a question. What are you doing? Like, what in God's name are you doing? Um, I, I mean, I know this pays well. You really, that was stupid. You just said that. <laughs> that was a dumb thing to say. What are you talking that about? That was such a dumb thing to say. You got to realize the people that go to these shows, like the people that attend, imagine going to New York City, the greatest city in the world, in my opinion. Um, and, and, and I'm right. But imagine, I mean, London's a goth nightmare. The food sucks. Shut up. Shanghai, that'll have its time. It's coming. Don't worry about it. You'll have the next century. Let me have the past one. Thank you. Imagine going to New York City with a group of your friends, group of your friends, the great restaurants, the great public spaces, all the things you can do, the museums, and having one of them go, I'd really like to watch a taping of The Tonight Show tonight. Imagine being on a trip with someone that said that and just the, the it, it would be like the, the just feeling in the pit of your stomach of a doctor saying positive to you. That's what it would feel um, like to me of a doctor telling you that you, you had you AIDS. tested positive for HIV. Not even AIDS, something even worse than that. Like, just you have six months to live. We're sorry. Six months. The word taping of The Tonight Show, to me, is synonymous with the word inoperable. Like, be hearing it's inoperable. Because, I mean, can you imagine hearing that from somebody like, I want to go to a taping of The Tonight Show tonight. Why? Why would you ever want to go see a thing that you can see on TV and you could watch it on TV and shouldn't, but what in God's name? You don't know who the guests are. They're all like, who knows who it's going to be? It's going to be exciting. We're going to see Jimmy's going to come out. Maybe he'll have a field piece where he goes to the Olive Garden with Post Malone. I've never been to an Olive Garden ever. Oh, dude, we're here. We're family. Well, yeah, we're here, we're family. When you're we're here, here we're, we're family. family. Let's when do this. We're family. Let's go. Why are they going to the Olive Garden? Who are we mocking?
The people that eat there, the people that wear Jimmy Fallon's like, oh my God, have you ever been here? It's the olive oil. I'm on so much cocaine. I don't know where I am. It's, uh, it's my first time here, I guess. Yeah, my first time. First time here? Yeah, okay, I, wore, uh, I wore olive pants. And they can sit in the Olive Garden where people have worked 16 hours to make a living and, and they soak their feet every night because they swell because they're on them all day and they're taking amphetamines to just to just keep doing it and keep fucking answering the questions that fat tourists from Ohio have about penne a la vodka. They, they have to do that and they're all drugged up and they can barely have a cigarette break and when they do, they go outside and it's just a cacophony of New York City blaring horns and ambulances and they go back into the Olive Garden and then they have to hear from their manager that, well, you gotta look good today because Jimmy's coming in with Post Malone. You can't snort the wine. Well, maybe you can. Can we oh, snort the wine? Now, I'm sure that there are some people that enjoy this at work at the Olive Garden because they're so broken. They've been so destroyed in every possible way that some of them might get excited. Maybe they're young kids. But there's gotta be a guy that considers having a Travis Bickle moment. There's got to be a guy that thinks of throwing a tour of Italy on the table and then lunging at Fallon. There's got to be one of those chefs in the back that's had quite enough of this shit. Someday a real rain will come and wash all the scum off the streets. Stuck on this. What is the bit? That the Olive Garden's good? It ain't. That's the bit that rich people do. Let's go eat this shit that regular people eat and pretend it's good. Oh, it's kind of good. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not good. It's disgusting. And everybody who eats there hates everything you believe in or say you believe in, Jimmy Fallon. You know? It's a repulsive restaurant. It is repulsive. The Olive Garden is, there's no quality about it in New York City. You could get anything they serve. They're better in a pizzeria. And they go to the Olive Garden. And I guess the joke is like, we're taking Cardi B to Red Lobster. We're going to teach her how to use silverware. I don't know what the joke is. And she's like, what shrimp's cocktail? And you have to explain it. <laughs> what is the bit? I've, I'm lost on the bit. Do you know what the Jimmy Fallon ride is at Universal? They put you, it's a little boat that looks like a cocaine straw that they've sawed in half. And <laughs> there's a tour guide who takes you through the boat and it's Jimmy's lawyer. It's his fixer. And he goes, now remember, Jimmy, you can have fun, but don't bite anyone. We don't want to have an incident like we did last time, you know? New York City. <laughs> And you start, you you know, you start trying to move around in the boat, but you realize your your leg has been chained to the desk. And they're like, we're treating you like Jimmy. We, we want to make sure he doesn't bite anyone's teeth. I'm going to meet him one day. And like so many other people in this town, I'm going to hope he's never heard of me or anything I've done. And I'm going to bump into him and I'm going to be like, oh, hey, man, how are you? And he's going to be good. You're, you're a comedian. And he's going to be like, what's your name? And I'm going to be like, uh, you know, because I just hope nothing. He's like, have you ever done the Tonight Show? Have you ever tried to do the Tonight Show? And I'm just going to look at him and be like, yeah, no, I should. I'll, I'll send you tape. Good answers there, Jimmy Fallon. Which one y'all going to pick? So many great answers. So many. I'll help other people with theirs. <laughs> you should stop drinking. 
you should stop you should, you know, stuff like that. But I can't. I don't have any New Year's resolutions. Is that what you do, right? You say like I'm gonna go on a diet or something. And maybe I'll gain five pounds. <laughs> I think I need to gain weight. <laughs> so many. Tim Dillon, absolute perfect. He's so smart and funny, but but that actually. It was humorous, but that was black humor. That was not, let me just get you laughing. That was, let me tell you the truth about what passes for comedy in mass market corporate late night. And I want to play for you a third and final time the propaganda song that Jimmy Fallon sung the other day. Because I think you have to, if you're still with me, what do you think of that clip, Olivia, Mauricio, and Efron? Did you think that was that, that Tim Dillon takedown? Did you think that was absolutely perfect, absolutely accurate? The vapidity, the corporate homogeneity. And he's right. You're in New York City, one of the greatest cities in the world, and this is what you go to. And the Olive Garden, I, frankly, I, I, don't even, I don't mind the Olive Garden. I, sort of, I don't mind it. Maybe my taste is not as refined as it should be. But he's got a point. You're in New York City that one of the most fabulous restaurant cities in the world where you can get food for extremely cheap, extremely expensive, everything in between, but it's real. And and to go to the Olive Garden in New York City is like going to a Jimmy Fallon tape in New York City. But what are they doing there? Are they, what are the, what's the angle? What's the comedy? We've come down to your level and haha, look at like, what is the, what is that? What is any of it? What's the fake banter? Let's watch that. XBB video one last time. There was Alpha, then Delta, then Omicron next. But this latest variant might be the best. It's XBB.1.5. Another friend of COVID-19 has arrived. It's a new strain, but it isn't the same. Sounds more like Elon Musk's his name. It's XBB.1.5. Imagine applauding that. Did you hear those applause afterwards? Imagine applauding that. Imagine being a band. And they're a good band. You don't get to be the band on that show unless you're talented. And you've got some soul, actually. That, that's a good band. Imagine playing that. But imagine being Jimmy Fallon and putting your heart into it because you have no heart. You are just an empty shell. You will do whatever you are told. And I think he is so gross. I don't know who is worse, him or Stephen Colbert. It's the vaccine. Who paid for this? Did Bill Gates pay for that? Did the World Health Organization? Did Anthony Fauci and the CDC? Did Pfizer pay for it? You know someone paid for it. You know what you just saw there was not an authentic act of comedy, entertainment, music, performance. There, there, there was nothing other than pure, gross information op. 
two, I, I, I don't know the demographics of the Tonight Show. One of the clips, one of the images that Tim Dillon had there was that they had their lowest ratings ever, but it is nothing but serving the corporate propaganda. Who's the next Hollywood celebrity who's having a movie come out? Come on the show and we'll promote that. It's a promotion machine. And normally we don't really much mind. The same way, if you're like me, you like watching movie trailers. We know it's an ad. Sometimes the trailer is enough. Sometimes you don't actually need to see the movie. The trailer has all the good parts. I don't mind watching a movie trailer. And when it's a Hollywood celebrity coming on to push a movie, it's just, I, I'm not offended by it. It's pretty clear what that is. But that XBB, I don't even know what to call that. But boy, the energy. And did you see when he went like that? Like that's a sign for clap along. Hello, studio audience. I want, And I bet some people clapped along. Of course they did. I wonder if that song's on Spotify. I wonder if you can download it for a buck ninety-nine. That's so, so, so gross. That's so gross. Tim Dillon's the best, isn't he? I think he came to Canada once. I regret I, uh, I wasn't there for that. I don't think he's jabbed. I'll have to check on that. Anyways, it's 2.11. Thanks for spending the last 71 minutes with me. Special thanks. To uh, Olivia, Mauricio, and Efron for working the booth. Thanks to our super chatters. Thanks to you, our audience. And um, it's one of my New Year's resolutions that I do more content in 2023. At the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, I did a daily live stream, you might recall, five days a week. And um, then things just got so busy, we moved on to, you know, uh, unfortunately, the business administration side of Rebel News took up so much of my time. Um, but I'd like to get back to more content. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be joining our team in the field on a special mission next week. I'll tell you more about that later. And uh, I think that's something I should do too, to get out there and report. I like doing it whenever I do it. I don't do it that much lately, but I used to do it a fair bit. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly got a lot of pleasure by proxy having our team cover things around the world. As you know, a few months ago, we had a team of journalists go to the World Health Summit in Berlin. We had, uh, you know, we, we sent people to um, Buenos Aires to cover a uh, left-wing city's mayor's uh, cadre. What other things have we covered? We've covered United Nations events. We tried to cover the UN Global Warming Summit, but uh, the laws of Egypt made me worry that the kind of journalism we were going to do would make us arrested. And we consulted with lawyers in Cairo about that. And they basically told us that we faced arrest if we were going to do our rebel style accountability journalism. So we declined to go. I didn't want our people arrested. We sent someone to Moscow, as you know, and we took security precautions there and we managed to get our guy in and out without being arrested. So these are all wonderful journeys that rebel news journalists have done. And I enjoyed watching them from here at our home base, but I'm going to try going out into the world myself a bit um, because I like it and because I should lead by example and get back to content too. So that's the show for today. I'll see you tonight at 8 p.m. for my Ezra Levant show, as I often do. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.